0: Welcome to Second Read, a podcast by the newsroom staff at the Herald Times in Bloomington, Indiana. On August 21st, our newspaper group hosted a Meet the Editors panel discussion at The Mill, a co-work and event space in downtown Bloomington. Moderating the discussion was Alan Ashkar, Gatehouse Indiana State Executive and Executive Editor of the South Bend Tribune. Here's a list of the other members of the panel. Rich Jackson, Executive Editor of the Hoosier Times, who you heard in our last episode, Emily Ernsberger, Hoosier Times regional reporter, who you heard in Episode 9. Miles Flynn, managing editor at the Paoli News Republican and the Springs Valley Herald in Orange County. Stephen Crane, managing editor for the Martinsville Reporter Times and the Mooresville Decatur Times. And you heard Stephen also in Episode 14. And finally, Brian Kaufman, managing editor at the Bedford Times-Mail. They discuss the changing landscape of journalism and how it affects local news coverage. We're going to play that discussion in its entirety on this podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for coming. Uh, oh, there's Miles. J- just in the nick of time, dramatic, dramatic entrance. Uh, my name is Alan Adjkar. Uh I have a couple roles. I'm the uh, editor of the South Bend Tribune, um, but I'm here because I'm also the Indiana State editor for Gatehouse Media which is the parent company of all the news organizations you see up here. Um, Thank you for uh, coming here today. Thank you to the mill for hosting us. Um, I'll be introducing all of these fabulous journalists here in a minute. Uh, But let me also point out a couple people in the back. We've got Larry Hensley, who is the general manager of the Hoosier Times newspaper group. Uh, And then Corey Bollinger is in the back. He is the publisher of the Hoosier Times Newspaper group, which so they are help oversee all of the work that's being done by these folks here, as well as me. And we should point out Andy Lehman, too, who helped organize this event. Thank you, Andy. He is also part of the Hoosier Times newspaper group. Um, thanks. We're going to talk today about local journalism, uh, specifically news coverage in this area and what it means in this era, in this digital age that we live in. Um, As well as where we think journalism is heading and maybe even talk about some local issues. If you have questions Please write them down on note note cards Uh, There are more note cards and pens up here and there are some in the back as well And you can just hand them to Andy or Larry or Corey or anyone really uh, Who's associated with the event they will pass them along to me We will try to get as if we have several we will try to get to as many of them as we can Um, And we are also apparently being streamed on Facebook live. Is that right? Which I think is right there. It's exciting. So we may and if there's any questions from Facebook, uh, Jennifer over there is going to raise her hand. We'll see if we can get to those. So let me uh, introduce the folks we have here. To my direct right is Miles Flynn. Miles is the managing editor of the Paoli News Republican and the Springs Valley Herald. He has been in that role since 2015. He was previously uh, a reporter at those newspapers uh, since 2007. Prior to that, he had a career in radio sales and programming. He's a native of Bedford, and he's very active in the community. He has served on the Orange County Community Foundation and Paoli public library boards. He was the creator, originator, and coordinator of the Orange County Publishing Great Spelling Bee, and he was honored as Orange County's Emerging Philanthropist of the Year in 2015. To the right of miles is Emily Ernsberger. Emily is the regional reporter for the Hoosier Times. Uh, That is a role she just started this year. She's a 2017 graduate of IU. She previously worked at the Times Mail, and she'll be talking today about her reporting and the types of stories that she does. Next is Rich Jackson, executive editor of the Hoosier Times. He's actually the newest of the editors. Uh, He joined us here in Bloomington just a few months ago. He was uh, previously at the North Carolina Times News in Burlington. He was executive editor there, although he did work previously twice in Indiana in both Richmond and Gary. And if you let him, he will brag that he has visited 60 of Indiana's 92 counties. I don't know what that means unless he's running for governor, but he will brag about that. On my motorcycle, just like Mitch Daniels. I got it. Okay. After that is Stephen Crane, managing editor of the Reporter Times as well as the Mooresville Decatur Times, both in Morgan County. And he was born and raised in Morgan County, so he's a native. He has a master's in journalism from IU, and he's been doing journalism in one form uh, ever since one form or another ever since and then finally last but not least brian kaufman is managing editor of the times mail in bedford he's had a very diverse media career he's worked in radio newspapers magazines film video and books uh, got his professional start at the Ch- chattanooga times as a copy boy for those who are not familiar copy boys fetch food and coffee and do such tasks but it was a start and uh he says his goal is to bring l- readers back into Lawrence County with interesting, accurate stories about issues important to the community. So, in fact, um, we're going to start right there. I've got a few questions. Uh, we can start with the group. You know what? I'm going to grab this seat right here, Miles, so we can all sit if you want to grab that seat there.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit because the only way I can be as tall as these guys is if they're sitting down. Okay. So um, forgive me. I'm just going to
1: stand, Alan. That's fine. Um, Let's just first talk about technology. There has been massive technology changes in the last several years, obviously with social media, mobile phones. Um, I'm curious to hear from all of you. Uh, in, in terms of all of the technology, Internet, digital changes we've seen, how have you had to adjust what you do in terms of covering news in this community? And Emily, we'll just start here and then just go our, our, work our way down.
3: Well, I think how this has affected coverage is, um, in a lot of ways, put us... In competition with mostly, I feel like social media vigilantes is what I like to call them, which are people like people who cling a lot to um, like specifically your local Facebook groups for your communities who like to get uh, word out possibly faster than we can. Um, possibly spread misinformation, um, and like to copy and paste our stories a lot or from other media. And I think that that is a, um, as a reporter, that's a huge fight that I see. I see somebody try to break maybe my story before me, even though they're not a professional. Um, It's cool that people want to read our things, um, but fighting our paywall versus sharing those, I think might be specifically our group's biggest hurdle. That's something that I've seen the most of.
4: And I'm gonna to have to add the uh, social media vigilante to my, my dictionary, I like that. I think it's, it has been a struggle all along, um, especially in a smaller market like ours, just to, just to have a digital presence, which is something we tried to do several years ago, even though there's not uh, really much money in it, but we knew we had to get out there and get in front of it. And lately, uh, as a weekly newspaper, which I think is something we'll talk about a little bit later too, Uh, We've really had to make use of social media to get the news out so that it doesn't look like we're just sitting on our hands for a week at a time when something happens after deadline. So, we've made great use of Facebook for that. And uh, another thing is, I think uh, you, you talk about people trying to break news or even spread misinformation unintentionally. And I think that having our presence there is a way that people can see that and say, well, this is from the newspaper, I can trust that, I can trust something on Facebook. So I think that's, that's some of the ways that we've tried to, to tackle that.
5: And having graduated from the IU School of Journalism back when they had such a thing uh, in 2007, clearly the writing was on the wall at that point, technology, the game changer, and everybody is sort of scurrying, trying to figure out what is this going to mean, what impact is this going to have on sort of traditional newspaper work. Um, Amid that writing on the wall, it became very evident you needed as many tools in your toolbox as possible, particularly as a student, writing, photography, video, if you could get graphic design in there as well, certainly that will help the cause. Uh, As things have shaken out, uh, it's fascinating actually to sort of watch it, and it's sort of bittersweet because we're sitting there at the front line dealing with this technology and you're seeing the impact not just in readership uh, certainly where folks feel like that they can go online and sort of consume as much news or feel as informed as they traditionally were i would argue against that in terms of a lot of the news nuggets that you'll see online uh, as opposed to longer form journalism that you might get in the newspaper product i think the larger and certainly they've addressed it social media in particular um, i certainly see those as being a phenomenal way to really connect with readers and you're really giving a face to the newsroom you're almost giving a personality to the newsroom in that way i love technology uh the abilities that social media provides in that way but i think the larger impact of technology sort of transcends journalism and i would say it's provided across the board additional distractions to people Uh, I would say that it has, in fact, fostered some level of disengagement, particularly on the civic side. In fact, we're working on a story right now how the state legislature recently um, is adding another layer to teacher bargaining, uh, where they have to have a public hearing prior to the bargaining taking place. And I think the quote that we used in the story, they had the requisite public hearing last week and nobody showed up to even weigh in on this added layer that's given by the legislature. And so I think across the board, technology, the impact it's had on people's lives, um, again, above and beyond newspapers, above and beyond media is sort of prolonged daily distraction uh, to where they are disengaging from the traditional interactions they've had on the civic side and really just too busy with distractions um certainly on the readership side when it comes to newspaper that's always the challenge is to get people i mean our top goal as newspaper folks is an informed public well you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink right and so if we can put it out there but you can't force folks to uh, sort of plug in on the civic side in particular uh, despite our goal and so i see The effect, certainly, on the circulation, you've seen that sort of continue to decline, but what you now have are those core folks who are still engaged. Uh, They want to be informed about their community, and so you have a much stronger core of civic-minded people who continue to sort of fight the good fight as we do, only they're doing it through subscriptions. Uh, So, technology, no question, the challenge remains it's ever-evolving. What ultimately plays out, we'll see, there's some, I just read in a journalism um, in one of the academic journals that in fact they've seen as circulation has dropped, they've seen a certain level of plateau uh, hoping that the upswing will return because people are sort of getting disenchanted with consuming online where you're sort of forced to click and you may not think that a click is much but at the end of the day, you have to sort of work for your news as opposed to what they literally are calling grazing, where you are actually going in and you're leading yourself through uh, the print product. So it'll be interesting to see. Too soon to tell, certainly technology. Significant impact, uh, but long-term remains to be seen.
6: So I would agree with uh, my colleagues. And, but I think it's important for us um, as journalists, newspaper folks to keep our eye on the ball and that is uh, the depth that we bring to um, a story, an issue the reporting that we can do that's accurate, that's fair um, that uh, where we can explore issues um, that quite frankly uh, social media does not do and so I think it as Stephen just said it can be a distraction and I view it as an another kind of distraction. It could be a distraction for us in the newsroom if we focus too much on what social media is up to. We need to just continue to do an awesome job and use social media to remind folks or to tell them, hey, you really need to read this story because it's important to your life and it's going to affect you. So keep the eye on the ball. Keep swinging for the fence.
2: Yeah, I like that metaphor. And I'm going to talk a little more about what technology allows us some new tools to tell stories, but ultimately we're telling stories. I'm reminded of uh, 1988 when I finally went to a journalism school in northern Wisconsin, and we had a manual typewriter. And I asked a professor who was a crusty old guy, "How come we didn't have these new fancy things called computers?" He said, "Because all you need to be a good journalist is a great heart and a great mind." And I keep that in mind today that we're gonna we're gonna keep doing that as human beings. I love very much what Brian said about the depth that we can offer, but I would also add that we can add verifiability. If you note in our newspapers, our small town newspapers, everything that we're saying in the news stories is, uh, has an attribution to it. Someone said it according to a particular record. You can verify this yourself. So when next time you read some national media, I want you to take a look at, let me say, the New York Times story about the Bloomington farmer's market. Paragraph after paragraph that had no attribution. Where did they get that information? Kind of us. Uh, The nation had a story that was really an op-ed about the Bloomington farmer's market. Paragraph after paragraph with no attribution. Where did they get that information? From our newspaper. I, I told Kurt Christian the other day, he needs to send the bills to those guys because he helped them with half their stories. So I wanna say that we're gonna keep the humanity on the
1: technology. Thanks, guys. And I just realized uh, I blew past something. They were supposed to each talk for two minutes each about what it is they do and their philosophy to uh, local community news coverage, which we actually started to touch on with these answers. So let me step back for a minute. Emily, we can just start with you again and work our way down. Talk a little bit about how your work, uh, how it relates to the community, and how it is that you view your particular job serving the community.
3: So, sorry, my particular reporting position is... A couple months old, specifically might be. So I have a new reporting position called a regional reporter. Which, yes, I'm based out of the Herald Times newsroom here, but I write stories that are designed to um, benefit all of our readership areas, the entire Hoosier Times Group. And those issues, I mean, are things that affect us all, no matter you know the economic diversity or political and ethnic diversity that we have everyone has to drink water, everyone eats food, everyone's affected by farming, everyone's affected by health and social political issues, and so those are the things that I focus on. These are those those quick hit stories. I do a lot of like um, moisture stories when it floods, how badly has it affected farms in our area, and those are quick, and then I'm also working on bigger stories about things that affect health specifically. My uh, September story that's coming is about how abortion rates are up in the area. Um, so those are the types of things that I work on. Part of the reason why we created this uh, position was because people don't live in just small communities or their own individual communities anymore, especially because we're also technologically connected. We live in a regions. Um, you know, this is nothing new to rural people. Lots of people have had to, you know, drive to a different community to go to your closest grocery store or your Walmart or hardware store or something. Um, so you're going to be interested in especially cross-county uh, interests. Um, but I think that in this type of social climate that we have right now, we need to remember that more things unite us than divide us, and a lot of those issues transcend us no matter what our life positions are, and that's what I try to bring to my beat.
2: And if I could break in here before Miles talks, you can see, when I arrived here two months ago, you can see that Emily's a young person with a big brain. So I gave her this tremendously difficult idea that she's going to be a regional reporter. Normally, you're covering a building, City Hall, County Building, uh, IU, but I, I needed someone could to do this more amorphous idea of regional reporter covering issues that touch us all. So I'm very happy she talks about rural issues. Tell them where you're from.
3: I am from a 400 person metropolis <laughs> called Orland, Indiana, which is in the absolute very northeast corner of the state, which is in Stuben County.
4: Sorry for breaking in. Go ahead, Miles. Oh, that's quite all right. Um I agree that that we do think regionally now. Um people in our county, which only has 19,000 people in it, are driving to Bedford every day or to Jasper for jobs because there just aren't that many jobs in Orange County. But another important role of our paper is to maintain that local identity at the same time. And I know a county of 19,000, you're thinking two newspapers there? Well, actually, uh, even though we only have 19,000 people, we have four incorporated towns and, and three school systems there. So that local identity is very important to people. Uh, In fact, if you've ever been to French Lick or West Baden Springs, you know we have two towns that actually touch each other, but don't get along that well at all. So that's, it's kind of amusing sometimes. So really in a small town paper like ours, um, we're wearing so many hats all the time, covering local government, county government, the schools. And then we have that added layer, something a little bit different for a community our size is French Lick Resort, right in our backyard, which employs, well, it's probably our largest employer right now, as a matter of fact, and draws in, uh, they believe, about a million people a year now from all over the country. And that has a very large impact on our local government finances and how our schools get money, too. So really, uh, ours is our job is just trying to keep everyone on top of all these things all the time, while also trying to look a little deeper and find those personal stories from people and share those because we know that those are the stories that, that you truly aren't gonna get anywhere else. So I think that's, that's our role in the community.
5: And echoing Miles's uh, general approach, I've always sort of come into a newsroom, and I've said it till I'm blue in the face, until the reporters are tired of hearing it, but it's sort of a three, three-pronged approach. Um, I've always worked in community newspapers, uh, which tend to be smaller, rural, very similar to where the scenario I'm at in Morgan County. Um, those are scenarios where you're seeing your elected officials in the grocery store or at the bank and they will give you an earful depending on what you wrote that week. Uh, don't mind that one bit actually, uh, but with that, you are part of the fabric. When you're talking community journalism in particular, you are very much a part of that community fabric. You are intertwined. There's no sort of arm's length detachment. And so the sort of three-pronged mantra that I always beat into the reporters' heads is that you don't take cheap shots, right? You're dealing with folks, and every addition is your reputation. Uh, And it just takes one uh, egregious error to where you are having to rebuild the trust. Uh, not just with the community, but also with those elected officials that you're dealing with day in, day out, week in, week out. Uh, So you don't take cheap shots. Uh, You also pick your battles, uh, which is also very important when it comes to community journalism. Certainly you have elected officials who might say very dumb things during public meetings. Uh, In fact, about every public meeting you could pull something off, or you could certainly quote an elected official saying something that may not be as polished as they intended. Uh, but you let that sleep because there's going to be bigger fish to fry at some point inevitably and third and most important as the overarching prong I would say is that you're driven by the public good anytime you're making decisions on the other two that is the final decision-making factor at work that you are driven by what good is this going to serve we're not out trying to push a tabloid Uh, we're not chasing sensational headlines we're driven by the public good at every turn and so certainly personally uh, in the newsrooms that I've been a part of that's been the guiding force throughout
2: just for any HR professionals here he doesn't literally beat them it's a metaphor is that true okay
6: I'm gonna drill down a little bit into what uh, Stephen said. And so he just gave you like an awesome framework and I can't claim to be an expert about uh, Bedford or Lawrence County um, because I've only been there about eight months, but I can tell you that I think I know a little bit about what readers are interested in and you could tell me whether you agree. But so when a child comes home from school, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa say, what? How was your day? What did you do? So if we can, as reporters, as uh, journalists, can share that information with mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, what happened in school? Um, is there a new STEM program? Um, you know, Did they uh, explore science in a different way? I think that's important. So education is key uh, at our publication. Um, I also feel like the business community is often overlooked. Um, of folks uh, in Lawrence County, and every county, they're they're working during the course of the day, right? And um, so if we can uh, tell them about what's being built in the community, what kind of deals are taking place, who retired, who got promoted, I think that's important for people to know as well. And then uh, there's uh, one other uh, aspect that I think is often overlooked, And that's the faith community. And so this I know about Lawrence County. There are 100 churches there. And so that's a lot of folks who are uh, attending services on Sunday. Often um, those people are involved in very interesting activities. Um, I I just attended uh, an event at an elementary school where a church has spent a year... uh, raising money so that they could give that to the teachers uh, uh, who buy their own art supplies. And so uh, they handed each teacher a $100 bill and a note saying how much they appreciated what um, they had done. And so um, those are the kinds of things that are happening in our community and uh, we're glad to share them uh, with our
2: readers. That was a really sweet story, too. I thought you guys did a nice job on that. You know, I, one time I was speaking to my daughter's kindergarten class. She's off in college now, so that's how long ago it was. But some, some kid asked me what the editor did. This was when I was in Richmond, Indiana. And I said, and I, how do you tell a kindergartner what an editor does? So I said, I read and write for a living. And another kid held up his hand and said, someone pays you to do that? And that's, I mean, so the other day, I I put on Facebook, I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Lou Gehrig was wrong. He had it wrong. I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth because I get to read and write for a living. I get to tell stories. I get to work with these marvelously smart people. I get to talk to folks like you all day long who prompt me just as I prompt the reporters. Yesterday, I was finally chastised because we've built this new shared document where we can see what we're doing. All the other newspapers can see what we're doing throughout the day. And I said, it self-replicates. And I forget who it was, Kurt or someone said, that's redundant. Replicate means to repeat itself. So, self-replicating is redundant. I like that kind of atmosphere where we question each other. Hey, Laura Lane, how you doing? This is as early as Laura Lane has ever been seen. (laughs) I get to work with Laura Lane. Someone told me before I came here, there's this woman who does the car column. And I thought, okay, well, car column, fine, great. And the first time I read it my first week here, uh, it's not about cars, it's about people, right? And I had to go over her desk and say, this is like the most fantastic car column I've ever read. This, this is what makes me the luckiest man on the face of the earth, as I get to do this stuff and talk with you folks. So, remember that our newsroom is open from eight to five. Anyone can stop by and see me. You can get a full tour, you can get a cup of tea, uh, you can yell at me, fine, whatever you want to do. Our news meetings at 9.30 in the morning are open. Uh, ideally, you give me a little heads up so we don't uh, have, say anything that's inappropriate, but um, I want our newspaper to be as transparent as we ask our institutions to be, so just keep that in mind.
1: Okay, and just a reminder, we've gotten several questions already, and you're all getting right to business. We got some tough questions here, so we're gonna get to those. If you have any more, please write them on cards. We've got Andy collecting them, Larry or Corey in the back can also collect them. So, all right, uh, very good, very tough questions already. Let me first address, there are several related to one theme, which is Gatehouse and Gannett. So, let me offer a little background on this, and a lot of these questions I can answer with a very simple, I don't know, or we don't know. So, uh, you may all be aware, it sounds like many of you are, Uh, we used to be, all the newspapers you see up here used to be owned by Scherz Communications, private family-owned company based in South Bend. A few months ago, we were purchased by Gatehouse Media, which is a very large national corporation, publicly traded, owns 155 daily newspapers and hundreds more weeklies. You may have also read in the news that there are now talks between Gatehouse and Gannett to merge to form what may be the largest newspaper company in American history. Gannett owns, uh another hundred or so papers across the country including in some larger markets such as Indianapolis uh, Milwaukee a couple of what did you say rich Evansville uh, Lafayette I think so it would certainly broaden the reach of the company in Indiana I know you had a lot of questions about that here's what I can tell you first of all that merger has not been approved um and it will likely not be voted on uh by the investors until the end of the year so it's not official yet it has not gone through um, so the two companies are still operating separately. And honestly, even after a merger, when you bring together two large companies like that, it'll take months, if not years, for it to sift out as to what it means day to day. So we had a lot of questions about what it's going to mean if we do merge with Gannett. Again, it's not official yet. Will we bring back USA today? How will that affect coverage? What will it mean for our newsrooms? Corey, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think anyone can answer those questions yet. And I think everyone's going to be hesitant to do so until that is approved. So keep an eye out on the news about that. It's not a slam dunk that'll be approved. There's still a lot of hurdles to jump over. So unfortunately, we really don't know what it's going to mean. Um, I, I
2: do want to break in here if I can, because I've actually worked for both companies, Gannett and Gatehouse. Really, it comes down to us folks in the newsroom and Laura Lane and Emily Cox, who's brand new, who's been here one week, and Jennifer Tilly, and Carol, is Carol here? Okay, what it comes down to is we're still the same people in the newsroom. Uh, We still have a circulation director. How long has Tim been with us? 35 years, I think. We're still the same people. We could be owned by anyone with any name from any place in the country, but it's still going to come down to us folks here. So keep that in mind. We're not going anywhere locally. You can still, Laura can write about your car or about your boat. That was very controversial. <laughs> People at the car show were angry that we had a boat story, but it's still a ride. Uh, so we're still local.
1: And that leads us also a couple questions on the business end that I can address here, and then I'll, I'll shift to a question to the panel. Um, How many people here uh, have a background, have worked, or are familiar with the news industry in any fashion? Quite a few. Um, You're probably aware then that newspapers traditionally 85 to 90% of our revenue came from advertising. Uh, which is why for years we were able to charge you 10, 15, 25, 50 cents for the newspaper because honestly, it was the advertising that brought in the money. The, uh, classified advertising, if you had a garage sale, you'd advertise a newspaper. If you were a department store, you wanted to ever know about a sale, you advertise a newspaper. Craigslist, Facebook, Google, etc. destroyed our business model. Uh, a, a lot of that money, if almost most of it went online and it was gobbled up by a few digital giants. So yes, that has left us with a business model challenge, which is why you have to pay to read any of these publications online. Um, that's a tricky situation. We in South Bend do not have a paywall. Um, we're seeing enough revenue from just advertising or something called Google surveys, which is a survey you hit if you click on some of our stories. Uh, but we did have a question here about business model and what is the business model going on for the next decade newspapers are experimenting with paywalls some have a strict paywall such as this newspaper group Uh, some will let you read three stories for free Um, and so and some will, will vary depending on how often you visit their site they have some complicated they've got some sophisticated data that allows them to track how often people are on their site and they'll adjust their pay meter per person There's all kinds of experiments going on right now with the business model, no one really knows what a successful business model is gonna be. But I wanted to ask these people here, now that I've given everyone the background on that, and I think it answers a couple of the questions here. Um, Yeah, this is a very turbulent time in the news industry, everyone's struggling to find a sustainable business model. How does that, does that affect how you cover the news, or how does it affect how you cover the news and your philosophy for doing that? Uh, From the reporter level on down, frankly.
3: Does this one work? Yeah. Um, How the paywall affects my reporting. Well, I don't know that it necessarily affects the quality of the type of work that we do. But to... I don't know. I would like to go back to the first thing that I said, which is, you know, you see a lot of people who want to share the information that we have and want to display our things for free. I think that the philosophy of a hard paywall that we specifically have is very difficult for people to grapple with, um, especially with stagnant wages. I think a lot of people don't think that they can afford us, um, so they try to share. And it can be hard to be like, I want you to read my stories too, Um, and I obviously have no control over our model, but I do just want to say that sometimes it is frustrating to uh, try to reconcile maybe my boss's philosophies versus my reader's philosophies, and your reporters are really stuck in the middle, and we don't really have a lot of power.
4: Yeah, it is difficult because uh, people do seem to think that all information should be free. You should have free access to all information, but you have to realize the amount of work that goes into that and not just gathering it, having all these people to go out and do it and come back and write it, but people to lay it out and actually manufacture and distribute a newspaper, which is no small task. So I think people, um, especially in this digital age where it's instantly on a screen somewhere, don't always fully appreciate how much work goes into that and that maybe uh maybe it, it's hard to say it shouldn't be free but uh, it, we haven't found any other way to make that work uh, i think alan also asked how how the business model has affected the way we do our reporting and our jobs and i don't really think it, it has had much of an impact in that regard um i know We actually weren't a part of Shure's up before last summer. We were a sole proprietorship in Paoli. Um, And our boss really hammered it into us, or beat into us, I guess in Stephen's case maybe if he's he's describing it, don't give away the store. There are people out there who want free coverage of all these events and you have to try to walk that tightrope all the time and, and decide. Is this actually a newsworthy or is this something that should be an ad for someone? And I think that's, that's probably um, pre-existing in my case before we ever came on board Shures or Gatehouse is to try to strike that balance at all times. So I think that's, the, that's probably the greatest impact it's had on me uh, personally. But as far as what we report or how we report it, uh, no, it really hasn't, really, really hasn't had an impact. We try to, to get out the important news to get those stories out to people, whatever whatever those stories are.
5: And I would echo most of these sentiments. Um, I would say there's that thick black line between sort of the business side and the editorial side. I am very intentional in maintaining, and so I try to stay as blissfully ignorant of the business side as I can. He does uh, good at that, too. Yes, yes, <laughs> particularly the ignorant side. Uh, with that, you're certainly still cognizant, right? Uh, You're cognizant of the circulation numbers, you're certainly aware of what the uh, social media, particularly Facebook, what those threads are looking like and people moaning and groaning, I'll be honest, with the social media vigilantes that are out there or keyboard warriors or whatever you would like to call them. You have to be very intentional, for me personally anyway, uh, I don't have time for that. Uh, somebody who's coming on there feeling entitled to free content that takes lots of time and energy to produce uh, and you want it for free that's all good and well but uh, sorry no thanks we do have some exceptions to the rule Uh, In terms of getting behind the paywall, we'll still throw stuff up for free when sort of you got a public health issue, public safety issue. Certainly all bets are off. And at the end of the day, the overarching mission remains, which is keeping the public informed, uh, especially in cases of emergencies. Yesterday with the storm that was brewing that rumbled through, certainly anything that we could get out to let folks know, happy to do it. That's uh, our mission. But when you're talking about sort of that next level coverage, um, traditional approach requires time, energy, and money to produce a newspaper, uh, to pay folks to go out there and attend these meetings, which we're often doing on behalf of the general public so that they don't have to endure these meetings, right? Uh, and so they are going, they are attending the meetings, they are really keeping tabs on local government. Uh, they're going and hanging out at the elementaries to cover the lighter side of life. Really, and I sort of describe, I had a similar scenario where I got to go and talk to third and fourth graders, similar question, how do you sort of simplify what you do? At the end of the day, we're documentarians uh, of our communities. We are covering as much of that spectrum as we can. You're going to certainly have the light side where a church is raising money, and you're going to have the dark side of terrible, horrific tragedies. Uh, oftentimes we're sort of holding our nose and covering those, but that too is part of the job description is to cover the entire spectrum. And so people, social media wanting to sort of take you to task for not giving it to them for free, uh, don't have much time for them. Uh, but again, of course, at the end of the day, nobody has the million dollar answer to what that new business model is going to be. Everybody's sort of trying to Try this, try that, try whatever, how that ultimately shakes out and what that looks like ultimately as the dust settles, certainly digital will play a huge role in that. Um, and questions of the print side, what role that may or may not play, all of that remains to be seen. Uh, terrible answer because it's too soon to tell, I suppose.
6: So before the meeting, I was thinking to myself, who would be the most challenging person to follow in... Um- after speaking, and it was, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to keep it really short and say, um, and and maybe just kind of preach to the choir based on what Stephen just said. So we're at the meetings. The Herald Times is at the meetings uh, covering the important issues that everyone needs to know about here in Bloomington and surrounding. And so if we can encourage you guys to share... Uh, the word with those who uh, your neighbors your friends maybe ask them how come you don't subscribe anymore Um, it's it's so important that uh, this watchdog function continues can you imagine the things that might take place in city hall and county government without somebody showing up for those meetings it's pretty scary when you think about it and so let me encourage you, uh, maybe buy a subscription for uh, a relative, something like that. Uh, no one told me to say that, but I think, <laughs> I think it's important,
2: right? Well, we know what happens in the absence of someone not watching. There's a city called Bell, California. I think it's Bell, isn't it? Um, that's outside of Los Angeles. There were no reporters going to their meeting, and the city, council, or the city manager suddenly had a half-million-dollar raise. And then city council members all of a sudden had $300,000 salaries for attending one meeting a month. Ultimately, someone at the LA Times found out they wrote that story, and a bunch of folks went to jail, but it's a really good example of what happens when no one's watching. You don't want me in charge of money decisions, because when I call my financial planner, she just cries a lot. Um, But I always tell people in in a kind of a simple nutshell, If you want to talk about why you can't get free stories, let's discuss it at the bar that sells free beer.
1: Uh, Thanks, Rich. Uh, Free beer apparently is a new policy here. (laughs) No. um, uh, Yeah, so the question about business model, um, really, we can't rely on advertising as much anymore. I think the newspapers and the websites can still serve a very valuable advertising role. But the reality is we're leaning more and more to subscriber revenue. The New York Times now is well over 50% of their revenue is now coming from subscriptions. And so the answer to that question is subscribe, please. You can pay for the website. If you don't want the PIM product, you can not pay for the website or you can get both. Uh, Ultimately, at the end of the day, what everyone has come to the conclusion is people are going to have to pay for news. Uh, And I think if I could step in a time machine and go back 25 years, I would tell every publisher, don't put it online for free. That was the giant mistake publishers made 25 years ago. And I think we thought the business model would transfer over and it did not. We thought advertising would just follow the websites. Some smart publications, Wall Street Journal has almost always had a paywall. The Hoosier Times Group has had a paywall for several years. They were smart, they saw this coming. Credit to Mayor Maloney sitting there in the back. Most publishers were not that smart and put everything out for free. People got used to information being free. Google News, Facebook, et cetera, only exacerbated that trend. And so we are at a point now where if you want news, you want local news coverage, best thing to do is to pay for it and tell your friends to pay for it. It's not expensive. Um, And we know it's competitive because you have Netflix and now Disney and ABC and ESPN all asking you for subscriptions as well. That trend is only going to continue, by the way. Uh, But we want to be in that mix as well. So um, you just can't do it for free anymore for all the reasons enumerated. now, we've got, let's switch back to news coverage a little bit. We've got some questions about, um, I think this might be related to a particular issue, but questions about guest opinion columns and what standards are used in deciding the publication of guest columns or guest opinions. Will we print anything without any editorial discretion, or is there some thought given? I have a feeling this is referring to a particular issue or piece. Um, Rich, do you know what this is? Do you want to answer that question? I think
2: that's probably specifically Robert Hall's column the other Sunday. So, uh, when I first read that, it struck me clearly as a defense of a white supremacist, as a white nationalist. And it did turn my stomach, Um, but I passed it around the newsroom because I work clearly uh, with a bunch of really smart people and my, in, my initial reaction is to be as open as possible. I addressed that in, in um, my column on Sunday. I don't quote John Milton because I'm some fancy thinker, but that crusty old professor from 1988 had always raised that quote uh, from Ariapagetica in 1644, let truth and falsehood grapple. That's what I'm doing on that page. You don't like it, I don't like it, but we see it for everything, for what it is. And if we want to live in an echo chamber where everything's nice and lovely, and everyone agrees, that's not reality. We have to see what's out there. And we saw what's out there. And I know people don't like it. Made me literally sick to my stomach. But I wanted to get it out there. I didn't think it was so obscene that it becomes... uh, that it became a private attack on anyone. Um, We have another letter to the editor that's running in a couple days that is similar. It talks about some of these issues. Uh, We pass it around the newsroom and we have a discussion. and Ultimately, it comes down to me to make that final decision. If you want to see me personally about that or if you want to respond in a similar column, if you want to question me in that column or letter to
1: the editor, let's let truth and falsehood grapple because I know who's going to win. And we have the same policy the South Bend Tribune. Uh, You know, the editorial page of a newspaper traditionally is meant to reflect all views in a community. It's not meant to highlight one view over another. Sometimes that means publishing something that many people are not going to agree with. Best thing to do is write a response, or have someone write a response. If you don't agree with it, you have a voice too. And the editorial page, if it's doing its job well, is reflecting all voices in a community. If you don't like something on an editorial page, write a response.
2: Yeah, you know, um, you know, uh, God, I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, the head of the First Amendment Center, used to be the editor at the, of USA Today, Ken Paulson. Uh, Paulson, yeah. He always says, and I've heard him say this a hundred times, the best response to hate speech is more speech. And that's incumbent on everyone in this room and all of your friends.
1: The best answer to hate speech is more speech. This brings up a related question that we had Uh, We are living in a hyper-partisan, hyper-polarized age. People are more divided than they have been, at least vocally and publicly, in quite some time. Um, That poses, uh, that's not just playing out at the national level, as you're seeing here, it plays out at the local level as well. So we had a good question, which is, what is the role of a local news organization? Uh, How does that affect your reporting? Is there anything you can do to lessen the hyper-partisanship? And I think that's a question for everyone.
3: It is a great question, and I think that this comes down to uh, a definite, of what you think the definition of objectivity is. Um, you know, some people think that they're, the like both sides to every story, truly he said, she said, or people want to think objectivity is like this is objectively heinous and you, some, or something is objectively good and you need to promote it, or you know, speak up against it as ardently as it deserves. And I think that both of those definitions and philosophies when it comes to what objectivity is, really it depends on your publication. I think when it comes to a paper, like a local paper, what that means is you are objectively getting the pulse of a community, and I think that you get those really playing out specifically on the editorial page where people can express those specific views, and I also think that if you objectively have a group of people who believe a certain way, you need to say these people objectively exist in your community, and that's very hard to, I mean, a lot of people, if you're against them, if we give them any sort of attention, you think that we're for them, but we're telling you just that that exists um, and I think that it comes down to a philosophy of exactly what the truth means to you and what different outlets are supposed to represent in that fashion so that's where I think we grapple I think our job is here is to just tell you who lives here and what they do and how they live
4: yeah I think that um I think that what keeps us going is just to keep doing things the way that we've we've been doing them because we've always been in that middle ground and we've always consciously not taken sides. But the, the downside of that anymore is that, that with all these voices on the internet, cable news where you can pick whichever side of the story that you want to follow, is that when people pick up the newspaper, they don't necessarily see this as middle ground, they see, you're not on my side, you're on that side. And that's something that we've dealt with. Of course, we haven't had as much controversy down in Orange County as we've seen up here recently, but we have had situations through the years. And one of the most contentious, I think, was about a school board and uh, getting rid of a superintendent a few years ago. But yeah, you remember that. You were in the trenches too. Yes, it was brutal. Yeah, um, but we had a lot of that. And I think the advice that I remembered all along was from my first editor was people aren't gonna like everything you do. Uh, the way that you've gotta know if you're doing your job well is at least if both sides hate you. If you piss off both sides, then you're doing your job correctly at least. So that's, that's sort of what gets us
5: through those times. And I would make a sort of dividing line certainly between our news coverage and the opinion page, right? Uh, on the news side of it, As Miles said, we're doing what we've been doing, which is intentionally being the fly on the wall at the meeting uh, and covering what unfolds, right? It's uh, actually, believe it or not, I love meeting coverage uh, because you really are simply, you're really transcribing, you're capturing the spirit of what unfolded clearly, and I know various folks go for various lengths of time at their meetings, uh, but you're never gonna capture all of it. And so you're looking to capture the spirit uh, of really what unfolded, getting some quotes that again are sort of reinforcing the spirit of what unfolded, the discussion that took place, albeit in condensed form. But you're just doing what journalists have been doing for decades and decades and decades. Now on the opinion side, uh, much different story. Sounds like you guys, I mean, You're talking about the national divide sort of trickling down to the local level. You'll certainly have issues at the local level. uh, And certainly you guys have been grappling with that recently at the farmer's market, which is extremely divisive, um, strong opinions, uh, being voiced, strong emotions. uh, And so that is one where I think the opinion page can play a role in really helping feed that conversation. Um, Ideally, we are being what's discussed at the coffee shops, Um, and we are adding to the community conversation. I think the opinion page, me personally, uh, for me is invaluable. I love weighing in, Uh, even amid my uh, interim status down here in Bloomington. I weighed in on the opinion page. I think it serves an extremely uh, important purpose in helping add some layers to the conversation. And like Miles said, uh, in fact, my column up in Morgan County, and it's been my column title going back forever is the tight wire. Well, there's a couple different meanings there, but at the end of the day, uh, it's really you're walking a very fine line and you are seeking balance. It's a very intentional and at the end of the day, maybe trying to piss off both sides, right? Uh, because you don't want to take sides, and if you are going to uh, take a stance in one arena, in general, though, there tends to be plenty of culpability to go around, and so it's one of those where you really are, um, I wouldn't say adding, certainly, and you're not adding to the divide. You're trying to at least add to the conversation, uh, emotion, Bringing down the emotion and really presenting the facts that often, even in the print side when you're doing meeting coverage, our eternal challenge in doing that is getting a peek behind the proverbial curtain to see what's really going on, the discussions that are taking place, uh, what's informing these decisions. For me, columns in particular give the opportunity because there's always things that don't make it into print uh, on the news side of it and we'll have some additional factors at play that we might be able to add to the conversation in that arena. Um, Certainly the national divide is unlike anything I've certainly seen in my 40 plus years. At the local level, there will still be very strong issues, uh, but I would say of a different sort, Um, in so much as it's not necessarily uh, strictly this partisan divide, it's issue dependent generally. And of course, oftentimes it'll sort out along loose partisan levels, but at the end of the day, everybody lives in their respective community and loves their respective community and wants what's best for their respective community. So I think that often sort of feeds uh, how folks may be feeling about those issues. Uh, but for me, again, Opinion Page plays an invaluable role in helping guide that conversation as best as I can. So
6: I would agree and uh, I would encourage you, uh, as Rich said, you know, if you feel passionate about an issue, Uh, to make sure that you write to him or call him or visit. And uh, same, if if there are any Lawrence County residents out there, we'd love to hear from you. I enjoy uh, seeing what's important to uh, people. Can't wait to uh, open the email or the envelope to find out how readers are responding to what's on the editorial page or to our content. But as Stephen pointed out, there is a clear dividing line between the editorial page and our news reporting so we're striving always for fairness accuracy because we want to build trust with you and uh, with those we interview those folks that we uh, are interacting with on a day-to-day basis the government officials the police whoever judges um, uh, bottom line uh, it's about building trust and it's so easily lost that uh, we have to be very very careful so there's really no room for uh partisanship in that regard we've got to just uh in the news on the news side we have to keep it right down the middle
2: i um someone called me a couple weeks ago it's interesting people are looking at the same product and saying you're far right and you're far left and so, I had a call a couple weeks ago. Someone said, don't you want to be fair and balanced? I said, I don't like those words because they're subjective. Fair to me is, for, is I have a full head of hair. I think that's fair to say, would everyone agree? <laughs> balanced, so when we covered Eva Kor before she passed, balance would require us to call a Holocaust denier. Is that an equal balance? Of course it's not. I don't like those words. At the end of the day, I want my newspaper to be truthful. Um, and in terms of divisiveness, I also ask people to take responsibility for their own purview. So there's a little thing I learned from St. Augustine when I was a philosophy major, is write a little three-inch line, straight line, then mark yourself off where you are in that politically, from far right to far left. Once you take your perspective like that, like if you're far right, everything is gonna be liberal, and if you're far left, everything's gonna be conservative. So take responsibility for your own perspective.
1: Thanks, Rich. We are not going to be able to get to every single question you have. Yeah, we have five, five, five minutes. So uh, there are some very specific questions about specific sections of the newspaper or coverage areas or even one to a person in particular. We will hand those to that individual. Uh, we're all going to be here afterwards if you want to talk one-on-one. A lot of these issues will be debated, answered on the editorial page of the HT as well in the future. So we're going to try to incorporate all of this in some way or other. And like I said, we will get questions to individual people uh, about sections or that were directed to them individually. We'll do some lightning round questions here uh, just to get through as many as we can. What is a major obstacle to increasing print subscriptions and readers? That is really easy. I'm going to answer that one myself right here. Number one obstacle to print readership is this thing. Um, this has become a, just monopolizes people's attention and time because you can get everything you need to run your life through here. And so when you can get, when you have a computer in your hand, number one obstacle to a print readership. Why should I get the newspaper when I can get it all in my hand wherever I am? So I would argue there's still something to that tactile experience of paging through the newspaper with a cup of coffee in the morning. That is a, uh, the reality is that is a declining uh, share of people. And of course, anyone under the age of, I don't know, 21 has grown up literally <laughs> in the crib with one of these. So that's number one obstacle, and there's really nothing we can do about that. That's not going back in the box, Uh, and it's only gonna continue to evolve. So that is why digital subscriptions and everything we do has a digital component to it, because we know where the future is. So it's not unfortunately in the print product, because younger people, and there's a question about that, that I wanna, a related question to that, uh, that I want to ask. Rich, a question for you. If the business community is overlooked, what can businesses do to ensure that business news is covered?
2: Interact with us, please. Don't be afraid to bother us. Uh, don't be afraid to call six times a day if you need something. Send me ten emails a day. Um, part of it is that we are in a, a bit of a transition, and uh, we're, we're kind of reworking new systems with a new editor. Um, and, I, and I do want to improve uh, and increase business coverage, so we're kind of kind of still working through that, but please interact
1: with us. Please don't give up on us because we do care. Emily, I'm going to kick this one to you. What can we do to reach younger audiences? How are we appealing to younger readers?
3: Well, <laughs> um, so a lot of it is figuring out what exactly that kind of digital presence looks like, but I think we ne- I need to echo what um, Stephen said a little bit ago, which is that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink in the sense that, you know, I think young people are more civically engaged than maybe what a lot of people, a lot of older people might perceive. Um, but you can't get, I, th- I think some of it is affordability and understanding that, that is, this is something that you need to work in your budget. I think that, honestly, the best thing for uh, newspapers in the future is just to keep hiring more young people. I think there are people who are. I mean, yes. If you read Michael Reschke's, uh, uh recent IU sh- trustees meeting story, you would know that uh, journalism um, enrollment at school is dwindling. But that doesn't mean you don't have a lot of passionate people who do want to do that. And I think all of our news, most of our newsrooms are full of very passionate young people who are who make sure that our uh, friends read the paper and have a subscription and you. I gift my friends subscriptions all the time because I want them to read my things and my friends' things, and I think that matters. So I think hiring young people is the greatest way to get young, other young people to read the paper.
1: And I'll add that if we're doing our job right, we're writing about issues that should matter to anyone who lives and is invested in a community, that should cut across all age groups. Even younger people, everyone from 21 to 81, if you live here, you care about this community, and if we're delivering you information about that, it should appeal to all ages if they're invested in the community. Miles, I'm going to kick this. we got two more questions. I'm going to kick one, this one to you. Why is the proofreading of grammar and spelling not up to par anymore? Do you agree with that? And if so, can you answer that one?
4: Well, have you guys seen our newspaper, Adam Paoli? I'm, I'm, <laughs> why, why this get sent to me? But, but uh, I, I think mostly it is doing so much more more quickly and with fewer people than we've we've had to do it in the past. I know I've seen our office staff where we had, I wouldn't say dedicated proofreaders, but at least people who, uh, who had that as part of their job, who weren't in the newsroom to go over and look at things. Now it's fallen back more to us to, to read our other people's material in the newsroom. But that still happens within the constant constraints of Oh, you got to get this turned around, got to get this out the door. Um, so I think that's probably it. It's, it definitely matters to us. And I know that uh, nothing stands out in glowing red text more than a typo on the page. That's, that's when you see it. You never see it before that. But it's something we take very personally, and it pains us to see it. Uh, but it's not because we don't care.
1: And I actually set up the next question with that. But thanks, Miles. I I just punished you with that one. But it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Um, So, Rich, we're going to end with you with this question because I think it wraps things up nicely. So I mentioned the business model. Miles mentioned doing more uh, with less. So the question here about has that also meant a loss of investigative reporting? and the loss of in-depth storytelling and what we can do about that. I think it's a good way to end because I think we feel our mission remains investigative and in-depth reporting and that we have to keep doing that. So, Rich, is there a commitment to that, and how can we still do that? There's
2: a tremendous commitment to that. It does take planning. I want to ask Emily to talk about our 2020 project that will involve all our newspapers about... uh, 2020 marks the 100th anniversary of D.C. Stevenson's moving to Indiana. He was the grand dragon of the Klan in the 20s. How does that manifest 100 years later? And we can clearly see it continues to manifest. Talk a little bit about the project that we're planning that you'll see over the coming 18 months.
3: So our project is going to be a package of stories that'll run every other month in all of our sister papers in the area. Um, And in South Bend, there is a, our packages deal with the history of the Klan specifically at that time, Um, think pieces on how it, you know, has manifested in the way that it, that type of um, mentality is now present at our farmer's market, or, ways that it manifests different, that we see online, how it has shown it to develop other hate groups in Indiana. Um, it's very influential, and I think it's big questions that we all have. And so we'll have a package of three to four stories running every other month in all of our papers, and it's going to be a collaborative effort from all of our newsrooms to do these stories. I'm really excited about it.
2: Yeah, and that so there is a commitment there. The one thing, you talk about the corporate nature of Gatehouse, When I asked Bill Church when I first came to this company two years ago, he's the senior vice president of news, I've known him for 20 years, uh, he preceded me in Richmond, I said, give me three priorities, because in a newsroom, if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. He said, I'm gonna give you one. Do journalism with impact. I was very proud, several month ago, we did four stories on the convention center that caused the county to react and caused the city to react, saying they didn't like how the county reacted. So you're gonna continue to see Uh, journalism with impact. I, I love the, the graphic novel we ran of Eva core. We're going to tell stories in different ways. Um, and we're going to continue to plan and we're already, I'm already thinking about what's coming up in 2021, uh, because that's going to, we have to continue to plan more as we
1: have fewer people. And I was going to bring that up as well. I mean, hashtag impact is something that's circulated in all our company emails. Uh, By the way, I'm just curious how everything in society has been reduced to a hashtag. I'm not really sure how that started, but there you go. Hashtag impact. So it is from Gatehouse on down the idea that, okay, right, maybe our newsrooms have fewer people. Our business model is under pressure. We're trying to find a digital future. But at the end of the day, are you still setting aside time and focus On stories that matter that no other local media outlet in your area or your region can provide that is our mission if we're not doing that well you need to let these people know that they're not doing that well and why and what areas they can do it better in and maybe they may not agree but you should at least have that conversation and see what their response is a lot of times you're gonna be surprised how much they do agree so um, that is still the mission so um, I want to thank everyone for coming out. That's, that's our time. Uh, I do have questions we didn't get to that are specific to some folks or some sections. I'm going to hand those to the respective people. We're all going to be hanging around if you have any the questions you'd like to ask any of us. Thank you again for coming, and thank you to The Mill, and thanks to all our organizers.
0: Second Read is produced by the Herald Times Newsroom and sponsored by the Green and Schultz Law Firm. Music was composed and produced by Zachary Walter. Find more of our coverage at heraldtimesonline.com. This episode was recorded at The Mill. Find out more at dimensionmill.org.